Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, the show where we talk about movies and, well, more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. CP, how are you doing today? Dude, it's actually raining today. How crazy is that? Little break from the heat with a little bit of wet weather. Yeah, it has been hot, although I can say definitively it is not raining in LA, so that is not affecting me, and I guess I uh, have to keep enjoying the heat. (laughs) Lucky you. You Yeah. I guess right now outside, it's uh, 94 here in L.A., which is pretty hot. Yeah, it's pretty gross if you go out there, so no bueno. Just a little bit. Just a little bit hot, right? Yeah, it's probably the perfect weather, all of that heat, to go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> go enjoy the A.C. at the movie theater, you know? That's always fun. So, CP, at the top of our episode this week, I wanted to bring up a few shout-outs. The first up is uh, Weinzettel, who said that he loved your review on, I believe, Barbie. So we did both go see all of Barbenheimer. So we're all caught up. We definitely have some things that we're going to talk about. You know, he said he's going in optimistic. He's apparently being forced to go. Winds it'll exercise your own free will. He's a little upset about it, but I guess it, so be it. He's going to go. I hope you enjoyed the movie. CP, I will say this. Of those two movies, we got a lot of comments about Barbie. Yeah, it's like a big big hit apparently that it it is (laughs) i mean i thought you were gonna have something to say are you saving it or what uh, i'll save my thoughts until later we'll see what 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 the filmmakers compass community had to say about barbie next up on our shout outs sean jumped in and he said yeah shocking number of people have said it's good referring to barbie so must be more than meets the eye now i'm not gonna ask for your opinion then it sounds like you're gonna save it amy mcmahon jumped in and said thanks for the warning referencing your review jack jumped in and said thanks for writing text referring to my my Barbie review, which was pretty cool. She said yeah. so much easier to read with smalls around. I see all of them, but pretty much don't hear anything you say 75% of the time. So was that just like the total slap in the face to every movie review I do? She's like, CP, your movie review suck. D-Man, your movie review was great. I do usually do mine in text. They're on Twitter as well as I post them on Instagram. So keep an eye out for those. After CP's review, which apparently she did watch and hear, she said, what? I thought it was supposed to be all female identity and stuff there's that next up i actually have a little review from let's see zoe steph's cousin my wife steph her cousin said uh when is the barbie review i gotta do the double feature which it sounds like everybody is trying to get in both oppenheimer and barbie and then i gotta give one tip of the cap r.i.p to uh, paul rubens who passed away Sad news. No more Pee Wee Herman. I'm going to jump in here with two shout outs. First of all, shout out to my friend Alicia, who is actually at the time we're recording this episode, doing the Barbenheim double feature. I hope you enjoy at least one of those movies. If you enjoy two, that's even better. But at least well, at least you walk out liking at least one of them. And shout out to my friend Ross, who just moved across country and is taking up a residency in Florida to start his PhD program, man. So coast to the coast, we wish you the best, but keep listening to FCP. Hey, they still have movie theaters in Florida, man. Yeah, enjoy Florida. That's awesome. So, and I mean, CP, there's, there's really good odds that you're going to enjoy at least Oppenheimer or Barbie. They're so different. I would be shocked if anybody came back and was like, I hated both of them. There's someone out there who would do that. <laughs> it's not you. I'll tell you that. Before we get into our look at Barbie and all these movies that have come out for the summer slate of films, we do want to talk a little bit more about the strike, the strikes and one specific aspect of those strikes. So I'm going to throw it over to you if you want to explain where this perspective comes from. A few episodes ago, we did a deeper dive into what was going on with the strikes, what the recent development was with 
SAG's decision to join in striking. And I thought we had a pretty good discussion, D-Man. However, one of our listeners texted me just a few days ago. I'm not going to share their opinions because they did not put it out publicly. It became very clear to me that we did not do a great job of describing all of the issues involved with the strike. We mostly focused on the residual discussion as it pertained to actors and writers. As we've mentioned many times on this show, the other big component of it is the AI portion. If you remember months ago, we had a deep dive into how could AI transform the film industry. A few months later, here we are in real time looking at these discussions playing out between the unions and the producer. You might want to go back and check out that episode because we really go even deeper into what are the potential ramifications of AI for creative folks in all industries, but specifically in film. And there are some. That's the crazy part is that this is not something that there is being overblown or even dramatized because we just don't No, there's real things. There's real concessions being offered or negotiated. I don't know. They have not been able to settle on how they're going to use AI. And it's just a big sticking point. What I did is I went to the Writers Guild of America website and the SAG-AFTRA website, and I actually am pulling text directly from what they say. What are their concerns with AI? How have they perceived their partners in the studios addressing those concerns when they brought them up in negotiations? This is from the Writers Guild of America, their list of demands. They said they wanted to see a regulated use of artificial intelligence on covered projects. AI can't write or rewrite literary material. It can't be used as a source of material, and it can't be used to train AI for future pieces of content. Okay. The Writers Guild seemed very upset that the producers came around and their response was to, first of all, just outright reject those concerns. <laughs> and they countered by offering a annual meeting to discuss advancements in technology as they affected the film industry. I mean, I will say from the producer's standpoint, that should at least be on the table for both parties to continually readdress this issue because obviously it's changing so fast, right? Before We didn't have chat GPT before November of last year. That came out and then it's like, boom, there's that big monumental change. So if you were to have met right before that, and then that happens, it's like at the next meeting, well, it's going to be way different. We're still so early in the first stages of the implementation of AI. We're still going to see more monumental shifts and more jumps in computing power that make these models better and better. A yearly meeting, while it should not be the, the concession that the producers make, probably should be on the table. Because every aspect of production and filmmaking is going to be affected by AI. Yeah. And not, not, not just in, in how you deal with actors and, and writers. I think the other thing too is what the writers and when you get into it after this, what the actors are actually asking for is pretty reasonable. It's not crazy. I certainly think so. And when you look at the writers' demands and you couple that with the fact that the other things that the writers have asked of the studio, a guaranteed minimum number of writers on a project based on the lengths of it, where it's being distributed, the type of content. They want set minimum writers. Really between their rules regarding AI and those set minimums, they're simply trying to say, hey, we want to make sure that AI is not going to take our job and that writers are still involved in this process. Yep. Uh, That seems totally fair if you're going to preserve the occupation of writer. The other interesting thing when we look at writers is 
Now, they're not pushing AI out of the equation. Nothing in their demand says that writers themselves cannot use AI as the tool that everyone seems to claim that it is going to be. They're simply okay. saying, we want writers in control of it. Studios can't just say, we're just going to go to chat GPT, have it write us a thousand scripts, and at least one of them will be good enough. Interesting. So the debate here is really about, are we replacing or empowering writers? That's yes. how they see it, is yes. the studios want the power of the AI in their hands, at which point they do feel threatened and that their jobs will in fact go away. Maybe not every writer, but a lot of writers. At that point, they're seeing jobs going away that aren't coming back, they're being replaced. Mm -hmm. Or they're being empowered, which is that they control that scary technology. They can use that as a tool to enhance their profession. Thus, they are empowered writers. And hopefully going forward, maybe they can produce more faster. Now, when we go to SAG-AFTRA's perspective, this is what they said. Performers need the protection of their image and performances to prevent replacement of human performances by artificial intelligence technologies, similar to the writers. Now, right. what they say is they want a comprehensive set of provisions to grant informed consent and fair compensation when a digital replica is made or a performance is changed or enhanced using AI. Like that seems totally reasonable to me. According to, to SAG-AFTRA, the studio's perspective has been this. The studios want to be able to scan background performers' image, pay them then only for a half day's rate, and use an individual's likeness for the purpose forever without their consent. They also I mean, want to be able to make changes to principal performances, dialogue, and even create new scenes without informed consent of the actor originally captured. They want to be able to use someone's image, likeness, and performance to then train the next generation of generative AI systems without consent or compensation. That seems totally unreasonable. <laughs> Look at something like college football and how hard athletes fought to be able to use their name, name image, image, and likeness. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, the nil. That's literally what empowers them to be marketable and empowers them to make money off of their craft. Now, granted, in this case, as an actor, it seems like you'd literally by signing over your likeness and they can use generative AI to actually create, I guess, digital copies of real people. I think, did you use the word replicant? Because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, right. That just sounds crazy. Like, I, I feel like if you're using my likeness, First of all, consent and compensation should both be on the table. Well, I agree. And I mean, and you can think about how quickly this would spiral out of control. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how in Dial of Destiny, they used Harrison's Ford and de-aged him, put yeah. in the CG version of Harrison Ford. Well, going forward, I mean, theoretically, they wouldn't need to worry about recasting Harrison Ford. They just say, you right. know what? We don't need a new actor playing Nina Jones. We're just going to CG Harrison Ford. He doesn't even have to have any say in the matter because he doesn't have any say, and we're going to keep making Indiana Jones movies. If you're thinking, well, who will do his voice? AI can be trained really, really well to mm -hmm. replicate someone's voice. Is it there yet where you can literally, it's indistinguishable from his actual voice? I don't think so. But again, we're still early. Those leaps and bounds are coming. We're going to get there where you can literally have AI essentially take all the voice data from Harrison's performance in all four Indiana Jones, or five now. It'll synthesize that and it'll be able to talk just like him. You would never know.
really the slippery slope that this becomes. For example, say you and I start our own tequila company. Ooh, let's do that. <laughs> and we think there's these really good Casamigos tequila commercials with George Clooney. So why don't we just use the AI generated George Clooney image and voice and have him promote D-Man NCP's tequila? With Not paying. Without the protections for actors and SAG, that becomes a total possibility. Yeah, that's weird. I think it's weird too as a viewer when you consider like we're watching a commercial starring George Clooney. I mean, why else wouldn't you just create an original character? Because you want what George Clooney brings to the table. And then we're like watching and it's not even really him. I mean, participating in a commercial for pay doesn't necessarily mean that that actor wholly endorses the product that they are promoting. They're being paid as an actor, not mm -hmm. simply promotion. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always mean that, but there is kind of a tacit, he's doing this commercial. So like, I'm assuming he's doing it because he likes that brand. And even if we're wrong, we, we believe that. But if they're using fake George Clooney, then what good is that even anyway? In terms of AI capabilities, we're not at the point yet where we're just going to be able to outright replace actors yet. But in both cases, it seems like the actors and the writers realize that this is the moment to draw a line in the sand and say, look, if we want to keep having some sort of human involvement in the creative process, we have to take a stand now to prevent these things from building up to a point that we totally are out of the picture. This is the point where we have to get out there on the picket line mm -hmm. and keep these technologies from encroaching on our workspace anymore. When I look at the writer's demand, it seems like a very clear attempt to say no. The goal at the end of this is to keep writers, them in the writing room, making sure that new ideas, new stories are coming from writers. And whether down the line they choose to use AI technology or not, their human involvement is simply being assisted by AI and not replaced. The problem I actually have with SAG-AFTRA is I almost don't think it goes far enough Mm, in protecting the rights of actors down the line. Yeah, they definitely should be compensated for their image. We talked about this a little bit before briefly on the, the episode before we brought it up in the sense that they own the rights to their name. It seems a natural extension that they should own the rights to their person, their likeness, their, their yeah. likeness and their voice and things. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but reading SAG's statement, it seems like they are open to the possibility of AI technology truly being involved with replacing actors to some extent, as long as the original actor has the consent and the compensation. And I think that that's still a slightly difficult and dangerous precedent that they're setting. You could see it how in 25 years or so, we've now completely phased out the role of, say, extras on a set. I think extras, you know, you look at something maybe like a sitcom, right? You take friends at a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. The extras in there will probably be real people. But if you look at the movie Titanic and you have a bunch of people walking around on the deck of the Titanic, those people are all going to be digital people. Mm -hmm. You're not going to build a giant set so you can capture extras walking around. You're going to be like, no, we're just going to fill that in, especially mm -hmm. on those giant sweeping wide shot. So, I mean, I think there'll still be a place for real people. You know, I think it'd look funny if we were watching friends and like the people in the background were digital people, obviously to what degree of photorealism can they get those extras in the future? It's possible. Mm. But right now, I mean, obviously I think it would be real people. I don't know. It is interesting too, just as a viewer, like what can we distinguish? Cause they've already been doing this, not with people's likeness, but with di just digital NPCs placing them in movies. They're just not using anyone's likeness. So, I mean, mm -hmm. this isn't unprecedented, you know, they can do it and they probably would because if you could take the photos of a person and really make them look 
like a person and not a generated person, mm-hmm. you got a lot better shot of pulling it off, I think. I agree. Those two sticking points, getting consent and compensating. I just, I, I don't see why that's unreasonable. Now, granted, the studio may come around to that and this is the, just their negotiating position mm-hmm. to try to exact maybe something else they want to get. Who knows? If those are truly, if the studio is like, no, we just cannot bend on those like that. We can't give you guys that. I mean, I think that's crazy. That's just to give everyone a little bit more of an explanation of the AI portion of this argument that we obviously the residuals all of that is still at play and that's you know a huge factor in the success of streaming and the success of these positions going forward but ai is that big question mark it's not just an argument over how much it's a fundamental argument some of these jobs probably will go away agreed so cp let's jump into the discussion on barbie now i saw this movie before you and i had a discussion with you and i said there's probably it's like a 55 50 shot that you're either going to like this movie or you're going to really, really hate it. And I knew there was at least one part that you were going to hate for sure. Oh, and I did hate it. I so hated it. So I want to get your thoughts first because you're the one who posted the video review and apparently everybody heard 25% of it. So (laughs) (laughs) if you want to continue on that, just kind of fill us in on why, why did you land at four out of 10 when this is clearly the hottest movie going right now? I guess literally and figuratively. It's like 94 outside you got Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie. The box office is on fire. I mean, that was awesome. Way to go, D-Man. So what happened? I mean, why why are you so disconnected from what everybody else is saying? Because I think Sean, he said a shocking number of people have said it's good. So it mu- there must be more to it than meets the eye. Is that the case? I think the first thing that we need to address here is when we refer to there being more to something than meets the eye, Sean, we are talking about Transformers. Let's just be blatantly clear. <laughs> meets the eye. When we talk about Barbie. I really don't get it. Kind of my point with the review, I just don't get it. If you've been reading the reviews, right, the messaging in the film is very on the nose. That's not my issue. My issue with the movie is this summer blockbuster, I went a week after the movie came out, the theater was still packed. I saw everybody, men and women wearing their hot pink Barbie shirts. Everybody Um, was wearing pink, man. I don't understand the cultural phenomenon that this film is. For one, from a writing standpoint, it's not like this is so ingenious that the political undertones are truly undertones in the way that maybe a movie like Thank You for Smoking is where you watch it and you're like, wow, that's really good writing. That's very clever. Tons Mm -hmm. of satire in this movie. Barbie is on the nose. The dialogue is very straightforward. It wasn't from this brilliant writing perspective, but it also isn't a spectacle film in the way that something like Top Gun Maverick was. How everybody walked out and they're like, no, you have to see this movie. You thought you knew what you were getting into, you know, just Top Gun 2.0, but it's so much more than that. And so for me, I walked out of it confused. Am I an idiot? Is there just something that was above my head and I didn't get it? I don't know what it was. The movie was just fair. I mean, as I said, I'd give it a a three or a four out of 10. Didn't change my life in any way. It's not like I was miserable in it. There were jokes that I found funny, but I didn't find it hilarious. And I certainly didn't walk out going, oh my gosh, this is the best movie of the summer. As so many people seem to be saying, and as the box office seems to be trending. 
Well, I think there's a few things. So first of all, I think there is a large contingent of people bringing with them nostalgic love for the brand Barbie. I think people maybe to a certain extent want to like it maybe more than it is actually good. That happens. I feel like mm -hmm. that happened with uh, Star Wars Force Awakens. I think I told you after, here's our Star Wars reference CP. Yeah, I remember seeing Force Awakens the next day. I told you, I was like, no, like I had fun. But I mean, people are talking about the Force Awakens. Like it's the best Star Wars movie ever made. And I was like, it's just not. And I was like, I think in like 10 years, people will look back and they won't remember it as fondly as they did leaving the theater tonight. With Barbie, there may be a slight effect of that where people are, how do I say it? They don't want to come out and be like, it was all right. They want to love it. And sometimes that's enough to elevate something that is, I guess, a cultural or pop phenomenon. It doesn't matter how bad Taylor Swift's next album is. All her Swifties will love it regardless. They'll just come up with some sort of excuse to explain away why at this point in her career, she came out with this and they'll just look back on it fondly. It's like a yeah. collective moment for that group. That happens. Now, granted, I don't know if Taylor Swift making a bad album happens, but maybe one day. On the other hand, I do disagree with you a little bit. What I found really fascinating about the movie was that it was not necessarily a uh, cookie cutter adventure story just involving Barbie. The story itself sort of encompasses what has made Barbie popular for as long as it has been. The movie deals with the fact that Barbie can be a feminist icon, but Barbie can also be anti-feminist in that Barbie promotes unhealthy beauty standards. Barbie was one of the first dolls that they had a woman wearing a suit it was everybody was like oh my gosh but you know you can be anything and the movie leans into all that it's constantly playing around with some of the discontinued dolls from the lines throughout the years some of them were incredibly misogynistic our culture wasn't ready for it you know a pregnant barbie and so <laughs> what was it midge yeah. you know of course they named midge you're like never had a chance <laughs> i thought that was really fun you know the movie's dealing a lot with identity and where you fit in and as you mentioned i feel like there was this initial onslaught from a lot of particularly conservative political commentators really attacking the film for the film, essentially like attacking the patriarchy. I didn't really get that vibe coming out of the movie. I mean, just because a film ends up at maybe a conclusion that you don't agree with doesn't mean that the film itself is terrible. People were proclaiming that this is like one of the worst movies ever made. And I was like, it's surely not that. I could see where people find politics here. I mean, it's not hiding. Like you said, it's really on the nose. Mm -hmm. It's not hiding what its messaging is and where it's coming from. But at the same time, wrapped in this kind of candy colored, glitzy, fun thing to look at. For me, the joke, you know, it's very sophomoric humor, right? It's not very yeah, sophisticated yeah, yeah. humor. Some of the jokes are obviously geared at kids, but some of them are aimed at adults. I just enjoyed it. I was surprised. I didn't think I would. And then I was kind of like, yeah, this was like fun. Part of it for me was this. You have to remember, I saw Oppenheimer twice before I went to see, really was in the, the Heimer part of the Barbenheimer movie experience. Oppenheimer, as I have said a number of times on the last podcast and videos I've posted, I believe to be a truly incredible movie. And after seeing it the second time, I'm even more blown away than I was the first time at, at what Christopher Nolan is doing as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. Then going to see Barbie, which just seems so painfully average, I can only equate it to going to the county fair and thinking that you will be getting a Disneyland caliber experience. It's just not that. The movie itself kind of reminds me of like the film Elf. In terms it's, of the structure. And both yeah, like Will it's Ferrell. fake land. Yeah, I know they do both have Will Ferrell, which I, I didn't even know he was in this. 
So I was surprised when he showed up. He's the CEO of Mattel. He needs to be a villain in more movies. He really does. <laughs> he's hilarious. He's still got it. I mean, he's just doing Will Ferrell. Literally yeah. looks like an SNL character up there. But he, I mean, he killed it at that too. Yeah, but right. it does remind me a little bit of Elf where you have like the North Pole and then you have Barbie Land and you have a character sort of having an existential crisis, right? Mm -hmm. For Buddy in Elf, it's he learns that he's a human, even though it's kind of like, how could you not know? I mean, I think they say that literally. They're like, how could he not know? But oh, yeah. he finds out he's a human and that his dad is living in New York City. And so he's got to travel to the real world. And for Barbie, her existential crisis is that she lives a perfect life in Barbie land until she starts having thoughts of death and destruction. And then she's like, she's got to go to the real world to go find the person who plays with her actual story structure mirrored something like elf pretty closely in this they do return to barbie land versus everybody's seen elf that one they stay in the real world for the most part until the epilogue but i thought just the the mechanisms that really get the story going and i like elf i mean i wouldn't i'm not here to criticize that that's one of my favorite christmas movies i thought it worked in a lot of ways i have had people ask me since i've seen it what did i think and i've had people where i'm like oh i think you'll like it CP, I think I told you it's like 50-50. I have a feeling you <laughs> might not like it. And then I've had other people, I'm like, you won't like it. It's just not your type of humor. Helson. Yeah. <laughs> so can't recommend it across the board. I think depending on, like you said, maybe some political leanings, but mostly comedy, I think is where I'm like, if you're into that sort of story, like there's something there that's fun. Like if you don't like that comedy, that movie's going to be a grind to sit through. The people who, who I knew who went to see Barbie opening when we're at Comic-Con that Friday, and Saturday. Mm -hmm. They made it sound like this cinematic experience. And I'm thinking in my mind, this is something like going to see Inception. Okay. Yeah. Just Ooh, this no movie that you're like, whoa. That was totally new. I was not expecting that. You did things to me as an audience that I was like, wow, that was crazy. And it was again painfully cinematically average. Yeah, I, I see that. I, I walked out of it. I don't get what the hype of it is. And the other thing too, like with Barbie, there is an element of like girl power. We are two guys maybe isn't as powerful as it would be for another group of people. That's true. But I mean, but there's other quote unquote girl power movies. Greta Gerwin also directed the movie Little Women, like came out mm -hmm. like two years ago. And I love that movie. And that is like from a literary perspective and a filmmaking perspective, like totally 100% a feminist movie. I love it by the same director. But I watch Barbie and I'm just like, I just can't understand why the world is just jumping for joy at this movie. Audience, if you can explain it to me, let me know. But I'm I'm so baffled by this film. Well, there we go. Also, spoiler alert, I hated the Justice League joke. And you warned me about it. And I saw it and I was like, oh, the Snyderverse joke. Yeah. Yeah, they went for it too. This is a Warner Brothers film. That was like a kick in the groin. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, CP is going to hate this movie. <laughs> now, CP, before we move on from the summer movie season, we do got to acknowledge that Haunted Mansion is coming out this week or came out. We haven't seen it yet, but we may get around to discussing that on the show. But obviously, we aren't going to discuss every movie we see on this show. We have just because Barbie and Oppenheimer are like cultural phenomena. Just because we go to the movies doesn't mean we're going to come back and just talk about any old movie we saw. But in this case, I feel it warrants it because it's kind of like a cultural moment. Barbenheimer. And I actually think that's really valid because there was an article that came out yesterday in IndieWire where Francis Ford Coppola is predicting that we're on the verge of a golden age of cinema after the success of Barbie and Oppenheimer. Obviously, Francis Ford Coppola is a guy who knows a thing or two about movies, you know? Yeah. Won a couple I mean, of Academy it's... Awards, knows, knows a little bit about cinema. 
Godfather, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I mean, amazing. Godfather 3. No, I think what was interesting is he was kind of positioning these movies as uh, like original movies. And to that end, he means that like they're either the first in what could become a franchise or in the terms of Oppenheimer, a biopic about a guy that is fairly familiar in American history. And I knew who Oppenheimer was before I went to go see the movie Father of the Atomic Bomb. I had learned about him in history class. So it wasn't he wasn't unknown to me. And this isn't like an original, original film because it was based technically on a book, I think, called American Prometheus. Yes. Something like that. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, these weren't wholly original movies, but get what he's saying. It's not the 20th movie in the MCU or the 18th Harry Potter Star Wars movie. You know, we got some original stuff. So I I do kind of agree with what he's saying. But on the flip side, I do just want to acknowledge that the highest grossing movies of the year are movies like, you know, the Super Mario Brothers movie, Barbie. I don't know what else this year has done really well. I think over the last year, Avatar did well. That was still a sequel. So to that end, hopefully I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic, especially with the strikes going on, that we will sort of return to maybe a golden age of a original content i think for a lot of people what the 80s represent yeah ghostbusters right. back to the future indiana jump like all these original stories were coming out that everybody was like this is amazing like amazing yeah. i mean even to that end i mean it's not the 80s technically but star wars was original at that time yeah, yeah, star yeah, wars was original right. it was not based on anything and so all these things coming out in that era i think the uh i was gonna say the apatow films but uh, uh john hughes like all the john hughes team movies of the 80s all these original things that they're still beloved today people are clamoring for an era like that where we can start to maybe get some original content and i think that would be great i would love to see it streaming in various forms has allowed for some of that but streaming doesn't necessarily produce the cultural moments that say something like Barbie and Oppenheimer did this week. I think films still are, they're the pinnacle of visual storytelling art form and they command audiences at that level. I don't know if, you know, streaming can get that done. And so I would love to see a golden era return to the theaters. I think it would be a lot of fun and it would be really empowering for a lot of filmmakers and creative to get to work on some original stuff, you know, and not everybody just fanboying out on everything. I think you're right. And we've talked about this at nauseum. you know, there is a bit of a fatigue, been a number of missteps with major recognizable IP franchises. I mean, we're looking at you, Disney. You're- yeah, I was like, we're looking at you, Disney. It's weird because Disney, you know, speaking of golden eras, I mean, Disney a few years ago was the golden child. It was like they could do no wrong. Since then, they've pretty much not got much right. It wasn't all bad, but it also wasn't all great, which, you know, they have the IP. So if they can just get innovative again and maybe start getting a little bit more creative with their properties, we might get back to, hey, we still love Star Wars. I'm not saying I don't want more Star Wars. I'm saying I want better Star Wars. Now, granted, this didn't start with them, but you look at the original MCU, like when it first started out back in phase one, it was so innovative and exciting people were like wow i always wondered if you could do this with comic book movies and they're doing it it was so Mm. fun and then now fast forward to like phase four phase five and it feels like it's just another movie in this big machine now it doesn't feel like as exciting as it was. They're not taking as many chances. It feels a little bit more cookie cutter. And I know you personally, we've talked about this on the podcast. You said when Disney purchased Star Wars, you're like, I know what they're going to want to do with it. That's pretty much what happened. And it didn't go well. I don't think fans are at least online. They're not 
screaming the praises of the sequel trilogy. Most people are defending it because it's constantly being attacked. Coppola talks about, oh, you know, this is going to get people back in the theaters. But I think that the misunderstanding has been, we've seen a lot of reasons why ticket sales have dipped over the past few years. I mean, there was a global pandemic. They stupidly released a lot of movies that would have drawn people into the theater direct to video. Yeah. But I think the bigger thing is this, when studios make great movies, people show up to watch them. Yeah. When you make underperforming MCU films and crappy Indiana Jones movies and films based off of theme park rides that are only so-so as a movie at best, people don't see those movies. But people yeah. do see Oppenheimer. They do see Barbie. They do see Mario Brothers. They go see Top Gun Map. And the reason why is those films are good freaking movies. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to see it. I would love to see like a, a kind of a 80s 2.0 where we are getting all of these original properties. And I think that would be a lot of fun. Tying this back to other previous conversations. One of the potential results of the current strike is the fact that we might see a shift away from massive blockbuster films become safer for studio bottom lines to focus on films that are created for less money. Because when you're spending $350 million on a movie that may or may not be successful, that's a lot of risk. I think Disney is finally going through that. All their movies were hit, 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 maybe a miss in there somewhere, but generally they were hitting. I feel like right now it's going the other way where it's it's miss, miss, miss. Occasionally there's one where we're like that, they still got it. It's still there somewhere. Like you said, they're, they're spending on these movies, these big budget Marvel, Star Wars, Indiana, Jones. I think Indy, they said Indy 5 cost almost $300 million. Mm -hmm. And it might make that back internationally, but like that's not going to make the studio money. And you're telling me that like, honestly, Indiana Jones or uh, even if it was a knockoff variation, they couldn't produce that for less than $300 million. If that happens, like you said, we might move towards that golden era where it's like, hey, we still will produce Marvel movies, but it's going to be fewer and further between them. We're not going to do that many you look at the properties that are on like disney plus the shows and all that they might be like listen we will strategically pick a show when we know we need it to tell a longer story but we're no longer just going to green light shows based on any marvel characters that want a show but there will be some stuff where we're like hey this would actually be a really cool story to tell that's not necessarily two hours in length like we might yeah. need six hours or eight hours to do it Obviously, Warner Brothers and DC had a tough time with the DCEU. Warner Brothers, if anybody needed a win, they got it. <laughs> They've needed a win for a while. And this, I mean, literally like might get people some Christmas bonuses. <laughs> Warner Brothers this year, I'm like, I don't even know if they were going to get bonuses. You know, Everything think... that they had released up until Barbie was pretty much a miserable failure. If anything, they can just break even and be like, let's try better next year. It was not looking good. And they finally got their win. So I love to see everybody get a win. I'm not rooting for anybody to lose. So CP, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get there because IP is so entrenched. We live in this, you know, we were just at Comic-Con. I mean, it's mm -hmm. that's a mm -hmm. big part of what people like is... This recycled, safe, nostalgic stories that take us back. I would love to see it. Don't stop making Star Wars. Fewer and further between and make them better. Or hire me. <laughs> I, I vote that. Hire D-Man. Yeah. He knows a thing or two about Star Wars. Just a creative consultant. I don't necessarily... <laughs> you don't got to bring me on. I'll, I'll just be blatantly honest. Be like, that doesn't work for me.
If it doesn't work for me, you can safely bet it doesn't work for a lot of people. Anyway, CP, that does it for our episode this week. Mm -hmm. Interesting conversations. I don't know that you and I were necessarily like, oh my gosh, we got to talk about AI and the strikes again. I think we got enough questions from people. There was a little bit of dialogue. So that came from you guys, our listeners. I guess we didn't hit on the AI hard enough. A lot of people were interested in that aspect of the strike. So we were like, all right, we got to bring it back. And then of course, CP and Barbie, we're going to do a... We'll get a photo for our, our thumbnail. We'll just put him and Barbie side by side. <laughs> we'll Photoshop him into Barbie land. That's what we'll do. Oh. Or we'll get one of those social media filters and we'll turn CP into a, a live action Ken. That's what we'll do. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh. Yeah. And then for all of our listeners, let us know if you're interested in maybe a golden era, kind of a renaissance, original storytelling. Well, I say, I think, yeah, dude, I... you know, we'll create all the new IP that we can recycle for the next 40 years. <laughs> That's what we'll do. To all of our listeners, be sure to keep the conversations going. Head over to filmmakerscompass.com where you can find a feed of all of our episodes and the links to all of our social media at Film Comp Podcast. You can follow me personally at Big Kid Demon and CP. You can follow me at NDCow5. Thanks for hanging out and talking movies with us. We will see you back here next week. Until then, keep watching movies.